church family sing praises to God. And, you know, the neat thing is about singing together as a group, even if you don't hit the note right on, it doesn't matter. It just contributes to the whole thing, and it's praise to God. And um, so some of you could surely come join us right after the me- after the studies today for choir, and your voice would blend in there as well. And um, uh, Jason does a good job of blending us, and Kathy does a good job of playing loud enough to cover us. But... Um, You know, one of the things about being in the choir is those songs get in your head and I'm I'm finding myself over and over again going along and and those songs are popping in my head and God is using them to to bless my own soul and sometimes it blesses the cows when I'm out around I don't know, maybe it doesn't bless them, but it ought to bless them, all right? Um, but it is a joy, the, the gift of music, and um, what an opportunity. But I just thought as we were singing those songs, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, worthy. He is so worthy, and what a joy it is. In Zechariah again, um, again meaning we were there a few moments ago, um, this is our first look at the book of Zechariah. We'll be in it for the next couple of weeks. And um, our Bible studies on our evening classes go into it in more detail. But um, Zechariah and Haggai worked hand in hand. Um, the scene is a group of people... Israelites, after they were in bondage for 70 years, came back to rebuild the temple, but things didn't go exactly the way they planned. And they really were in a state of humiliation. Um, And Haggai, as we saw a couple weeks ago, really called them out. He really rebuked them. Now, Zechariah comes along, and basically his ministry is to encourage them to, to do the work, to do what God called them to do. And he did that by reminding them of, of the promises of God, um, reminding them that God had kept His promise, Seventy years he promised they'd be in bondage, and now he brought them back. And and it's interesting, in, in the first verse, it really gives us the theme of the book in the names that are used here. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Barakai means the Lord blesses. And Ido means at the appointed time. So you put this together. God raised up Zechariah to proclaim that God remembers his people and that he will bless them in his appointed time. I mean, right there is a 
great, great truths that God remembers. There's, there's times that come in our life that it's easy for us to think God's forgotten about me. Maybe adversity, maybe you're not seeing answered prayer, maybe you think your life has just lived in obscurity, and it's easy for us to think God's forgotten about us. And, and Zechariah is saying, no, God remembers. And he reminded them, God remembered. He said you'd be in bondage 70 years. 70 years came and he brought you back. God remembers. And as you get into this book, you're going to see he points out the ways God promises that he's going to bless them. And every blessing is from God. Um, he is the author of every good and perfect gift. And his timing is perfect. At his appointed time, he does um, his work. So God has come in Haggai and given correction. And now in Zechariah, he's giving comfort. He's giving counsel. And he's pointing out coming events that will come. So, in our lives, we need correction. We need comfort. We need counsel on right and wrong. And he's given us coming events as well of things that will be happening. And all of this deals with the blessing of God. But in these first six verses... He lays down a principle that really is the bridge to God's blessing. It is, it is important for us to realize that, that God's blessing is, is just not willy-nilly cast out to whoever happens to be lucky enough to get it. And it's, it's not that God plays special favorites. God's blessing is spelled out in Scripture, and, and he gives some key ingredients in this aspect of the first part of Zechariah to show us the bridge to blessing for the children of Israel, but the same principles apply to us in our own life. And so we begin, first of all, in verse 2, with the problem. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. And he goes on and he says that they have displeased me greatly. And, and the problem is God's wrath. In the original language in Hebrew, it, it really reads like this. Angry was Jehovah at your fathers with great anger. So he, he's doubly emphasizing this. Angry was Jehovah with your, at your fathers with great anger. Um, it, and the word that is used is vehement displeasure. Almost to the point of Hatred and despising. That's how angry God was. 
the anger of God in most of our lives has been minimized and and um, our emphasis has been on the love of God rather than the anger of God. Now, God is a God of love, but God is a God of wrath. And you read, it's not just in the Old Testament either. God hates sin. God is a holy God. He hates sin. And, and that's a major, major problem that mankind has that we don't identify. I mean, if all that is emphasized is God is love, then we never deal with the problem of we have violated God, we are deserving of His judgment, and and so that's never dealt with. Why did Jesus Christ come? To deal with the wrath of God, to pay the penalty for sin. And God is angered. You read throughout Scripture, God is angered by sin. God is angered by false teachers. God is angered by those who forsake Him. These are all told in the Bible. God is angered by sinning saints when His own children go into sin. And you look throughout the Bible. Over and over again, we find His anger was manifested to the point, Genesis 6, He flooded the whole earth. In Genesis 11, he was angered with mankind not obeying his dictates and they were going to be their own gods and build a tower to the heavens and make a name for themselves. And God was angered with them and said, I'm going to put a stop to to globalism and I'm going to create all these different languages and in so doing, I'm going to separate you people and... That was because of his anger. You go on throughout Scripture. God was angry with King Saul for his disobedience. God was angry with David for his sin. God was angry for Solomon that he let his heart go away from God. God was angry in Acts, the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about the anger of God. Now, we live in a time that um, in most cases there aren't lightning bolts coming down from God in His anger to strike people down. But the worst of God's wrath to us today is that God allows us to have our own ways. And then we bear the consequences of our own ways. And you look in our nation today and in our world today, and there are many things, I'm not going to take time to, to list them, but there are many things that bring the anger of God that are outright blatant rebellion, fist in the face of God, so to speak, and and. God does not sit idly by. God does not just smile and, oh, that's okay. 
there is a very real issue with God regarding our sin. And it's an issue that must be dealt with. And this was the problem. He began, he jumped right in and Zechariah is coming to encourage them. And you think, well, wow, you jump in. The Lord is angry with your fathers and your fathers have displeased God and greatly. But we find that this is the major issue between God and man is man's sin that violates God's holiness. Turn to John chapter 3 if you would. John chapter 3. And we're familiar with John chapter 3, Nicodemus coming, what must I do to be born again? We're familiar with John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the last verse of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. We rejoice in that. That's John 3.16. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The only solution to the wrath of God is Jesus Christ. And... Whether we understand it or not, God says Jesus Christ alone removes the wrath of God. And if you reject Jesus Christ, the wrath of God continues to abide upon you. It's not like it comes on you. It's there from the very start. So here was the problem. And we need to identify the problem in our own life. The problem really isn't God's wrath. The problem is our sin that causes God's wrath. And and in dealing with that, it has to point us to Jesus Christ. But notice verse 3. So he says, the message of the Lord, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Just incidentally, let me mention, you notice the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. That means he is the captain of the armies of heaven. He is all authority. He has all authority. He is the master of all. And after he talks about the wrath of God, he then comes and says, Return to me, and I will return to you. What a testimony of the mercy of God. What a promise to rest in. That although we have angered him by our actions... He says, if you will return to me, I will return to you. Positionally, they were back in the land. But they hadn't really turned in their heart 
to God. They hadn't really turned to his person and his character. See, positionally, we may be a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, but we may have erred, and God, in his mercy, says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Do you understand the magnitude of that promise? He doesn't have to draw near to us. We may seek Him and seek Him and may not find Him. God could make it that way, but God says, No, this is my promise. This is my character. This is my commitment to you. I promise you, He promised the Israelites, He promised we as believers, if we will turn and draw near to Him, He moves toward us. It's the Spirit of God working in our hearts, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is a promise of God. Here I am. I have failed miserably. We have failed miserably. But God still says, if you turn to me, I will turn to you. I mean, that ought to make us say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And we limit God's grace to saving us. But it is God's grace that He doesn't just take all of us out of here because we go our own way. And God says, I love you so much. I want fellowship with you so much. If you turn to me, I will turn to you. See, there, there's no other there's no other being like this. And false religions... They, they cut themselves, they sacrifice, they do all these things to try to win the favor of their God. And God says, if you humbly turn to me, I will turn to you. I mean, what, what a promise that he gives us here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But notice then verse 4. <clears throat> Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preach, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. So now he brings it down to personal responsibility. And he says, Do not be like your fathers. They came and said, the prophets came to them and said, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But he said, they did not listen and they did not obey. But he said, don't you be like them. You take personal responsibility and repent. Personal responsibility to turn from your evil ways. See, no one can turn from my evil ways for me. And it's not just acknowledging I'm walking in disobedience to God. I must take personal responsibility, not blame anyone else, 
And then I am the one that must turn toward God. That's what, that's what repentance is. And repentance is the message of God that he gave. Zechariah was right before, he was one of the last prophets that prophesied before there was 400 years of silence. And the message of Zechariah was repent. After 400 years of silence, God raised up John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's message was what? Repent. And he was the forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus Christ told his disciples that repentance and remission of sin must be preached from Jerusalem to the world. In Acts chapter 2, Peter said, repent and be converted. In Acts 17, God commanded all men everywhere to repent. Repent, coming to God for salvation, but Also, as a believer, it is understanding as the Spirit of God convicts me of sin, I must turn, take personal responsibility, turn, go back to God and confess my sin and repent and take personal responsibility. And I can do that because I know He promised if if I confess my sin, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we need to learn to be good repenters because we're already good sinners. We're already good self-controlling, I mean, Selfish living, we're already good at trying to run our own lives. And because I'm a good sinner, I need to learn to be a good repenter. Maybe good sinner isn't the right word, because I'm good at sinning. How's that sound? And we're all good at sinning. And if you say, no, I'm not, you just sin because you're full of pride thinking you don't sin much, okay? If I say I have no sin, I deceive myself and the truth is not in me. This morning, I woke up, God woke me up, and, and before I, I was even fully awake, God convicted me of sin and, and, I I went downstairs and I said, God, I am sorry. This this is not right. And your mercies to me already this morning have been new and abundant. And God, I I seek your forgiveness. You know, we we need to learn to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And when He convicts us, We need to quickly repent, take personal responsibility. And as parents, we need to teach our kids to be good repenters. We teach them how to be 
good at covering their sin and hiding it. I mean, we really do. I mean, we make them, don't, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And, and so they do it and then they cover it because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then, then we say, why did you do that? And do we teach them that they're a sinner? And God is standing and says, if you turn to me, I will turn to you. And we need to repent and turn to God. And he is able to heal. He is able to strengthen. He is able to empower. This is... This is the glory of the gospel that God brings us, first of all, to relationship with Him. We go our own way, often, daily, and yet God is willing to bring us back if we turn to Him. And, and it's even, that's the message of the prodigal and the prodigal's father. The father was eager and anxious to forgive and restore and have a party because my son is back. We're back into fellowship. See, this is the message of God. I want to bless you, but the blessing comes in the place of repentance. It's not just, it's not just going on. God's blessing is always in the place of repentance. We can pray all we want for revival. We can pray all we want for our nation. But until there's repentance, there's not going to be any blessing. And, and this is what Zechariah is emphasizing to the people. He says, I'm going to tell you blessings that God is going to bring but that's not going to come to you unless you repent. If you're going to be like your fathers, he said, and we'll get to that in just a moment, he said, take a look at them. So it is, the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And as I'm prone to that, I need to repent, take personal responsibility, and repent, and that's why in Jude, verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. You say, I thought, I thought God kept me. He does keep us. But Jude is saying, Keep yourself in the place where the blessing of God can come. In an unrepentant heart, God's blessing isn't going to be there. There... It's almost like you imagine a funnel, and this is repentance. And with repentance, then comes the blessing of God. If we do not listen to God, and we do not turn from our way to God, He can't bless us as He desires. So as I said, we must learn to be good repenters, because we're good at going our own way and then he goes on and he says he gives them a history lesson or he calls their attention the end um, end of verse 4 
Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not, meaning the, the fa- their fathers, they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So he says, okay, God came to your fathers with a warning, and they didn't listen to him, and what happened to your fathers? He said God's judgment came on them. And he says, your fathers and the prophets do not live forever, but he said, my words live forever. And you're going to kick against this? Let's, let's look throughout history. And all throughout history, anybody that lived contrary to this, the judgment, it did not end well with them. The judgment of God came on them. And he's saying, look at history. And we're, we're living history right now. And look at our nation. Are things going well for our nation? Our nation, generally speaking, has turned its back on these principles, has turned its back on God. And God says, take a look at history all throughout. Those that bless me, I will bless them. Those that curse me, I will curse them. And he's saying, I don't care. Drop into history anywhere you want. And he says, you're going to find this is true. And you make a big deal of these people. He says, they're going to die just like everybody else. These prophets died just like everybody else. Your fathers died just like everybody else. But my word is eternal. And he says, you best come under it and submit to it or you will be crushed by it. And that's the message that he's bringing. Learn from history. Has not God done exactly as he said he was going to do? I mean, even in their lives, he's done exactly as he said he would do. Look in history. Has not God done exactly as he said he would do? Has not God always judged sin? Look at history. Has not every human being that ever lived died hasn't God said it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment so he's saying you best be prepared for that and the blessing of God comes as we turn from our ways and line up with God and as we build our life on God and his word and his ways then, then we can see the blessing of God. So, you look at this book and you think, why does the book begin like this? It begins like this because Zechariah wants to eliminate any false security on the part of ungodly people to think God's blessings are going to come no matter what. You can just... Live your life and get God's blessing. Everything's going to be all right. There is a prerequisite to God's blessing. It's repentance. 
There's a prerequisite to forgiveness of sins. It's repentance. It's pretty common now. Just add Jesus to your life. No, it's turning from sin to Jesus. God does not bless regardless of our spiritual condition. He doesn't just hand out blessings. And repentance is the key. And so Zechariah is going to go in and share some great comforting truths. He's going to give them counsel about their walk with God, relationship with God. He's going to tell them some glorious things that are going to happen. But he said, but unless you repent, you'll, you'll be like your fathers. They missed out on the blessing of God. And so it does. We have to come back and understand, wow, there's an issue that I've created between me and God that my sin creates wrath on God's part. But God has promised if I draw near to Him, He will move to me. He will receive me. Him that cometh to God, He will in no wise cast out. And so I need to take personal responsibility and not just go on, but say, no, God, I have sinned against you and you alone in this area and to name the sin before Him and and then to rest in His promise and to be reminded of God's working all throughout history. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the key is for us to repent. In just a moment, we're going to to play, have Kathy play the song, Just As I Am Without One Plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou invites me to come to you, O Lamb of God, I come. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, the wrath of God is on you. I don't care if you're a member of this church. I don't care... How long your family has come to church, I don't care about anything. If you have never trusted Christ, the wrath of God is on you. And that wrath, if you don't trust Christ, that wrath will separate you from Him for all eternity. And He invites you to come to Him. But that song is relegated just to salvation often. But it applies to every one of us. Just as I am, as a child of God, but I am walking in my sin. Just as I am, without one plea, I have no excuse. I am going to turn and come to you, O Lamb of God, I come. You want the blessing of God on your life, the presence of God on your life? The key is repentance. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Spirit would would 
find eagerness in our hearts to hear and see where we have violated your ways. And Lord, I pray that in our hearts there would be a turning to you. Lord, I pray that there would be dependence on your promise that you said if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased at our responses, that we would not be as the fathers throughout history that did not heed your word and your ways. So Lord, may you have your will in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.